Hello there, welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopaedics. Callum Williams alongside Kendra D. St. Aubin, as always. A little later on, we'll be joined by the technical director of Minnesota United, Mark Watson, to talk all things Emmanuel Reynoso and his brand new contracts. First and foremost, though, Kay, let's focus on international football, shall we? I'm so sorry to do this to you, but the United States men's national team. Um, how do we even begin to assess what we've seen over the course of the last two games. Bearing in mind now, to our knowledge, there may be a, a little camp with the players that aren't involved in the MLS post-season, but that was really the last chance to get a good look at a lot of players we're assuming will be on the World Cup roster. Yeah, I mean, first of all, England wasn't super flying high there either the other day. <laughs> I mean, it took a little bit of a miracle late in that game. Um, and I asked Adrian Heath about that. I asked him if, if England made him nervous. And he's like, oh, absolutely not. And I think I saw somebody said on Twitter, it went from in like a span of 12 minutes to fire Gareth Southgate to we're going to win the World Cup. Like literally in a matter of 12 minutes in the way they scored those goals. So Yes, but but at least we know that we're bad. At the moment, the, the, <laughs> the thing is with, with England at the moment is uh, I think I saw some of the worst defending I've ever seen from an England national team backline. I don't need to single out players because people who watched it know where the issue is. I still cannot believe that Tamori isn't getting any first team minutes after winning the title with AC Milan. Attacking-wise, I'm not worried about England at all. It's defensively where the issues are. And I'm assuming the United States would, would take a little bit of confidence from that if they were scoring goals, but they're not. Honestly, like I, I'm struggling to take confidence from either side of the ball right now for the men's national team because I do think as much as you can talk about the the back line being solidified, which it's not, you know, we've talked about the center back situation and, um, you know, if Anthony Robinson is going to be available or not, and where does Sergio Des play and the kind of the experiment with that and the outside backs and who's going to partner along Walker Zimmerman and Walker played okay in this, but I think his form as of late in MLS wasn't, you know, burning the house down as far as um, impressing so I, I don't, you know, it's just, it's unfortunate because if you wanted to use these two friendlies in which Greg Berhalter was very adamant that, look, we only have two games. This is why we're bringing in these players. We have, you know, 180 minutes basically to kind of take a look at some guys that we haven't seen to get some more guys, you know, back in that haven't been. And then you're taking into account the you know, the guys that are in Europe. So I, I don't know, like there wasn't, honestly, I don't know if there is a single positive from those two games, except I thought Matt Turner played really well. I'm trying, I mean, Brendan Aronson, I just always appreciate watching him. There's something about his energy, his enthusiasm, his willingness to do the work. And on top of that, he's got incredible amount of quality. He makes great runs when he's played in the right positions. He can be incredibly effective for this team. And, um, I, you know, but other than that, I, I'm a little bit nervous and maybe hopefully they're not. I didn't love what I saw in either of those games and it didn't get me excited. I know the second game was tough. I mean, you're playing in practically in front of nobody, which it really felt like a pandemic COVID game that we had gotten used to. But then when you're trying to kind of get yourself going, although Saudi Arabia didn't seem to struggle with um, getting themselves going, they had the better of the chances and, I don't know. It was disappointing, I would say, because knowing that was your last look and your last time together as an entire group. So not even just from a coaching staff and a fan perspective, from a player perspective, I would feel a little bit 
disappointed and left, you know, wanting more, wanting a longer camp, wanting more time together, wanting another friendly, knowing, you know, it's like it leaves a bad taste in your mouth when you go back to your club before the World Mm -hmm. Cup. You mentioned Matt Turner as being the main positive. Has he cemented himself as the number one for you now? I think so. I mean, Zach Steffen's nowhere to be found, um, you know, and, and I understand that he was dealing with some things, I think, and then, then he wouldn't, couldn't be released or something like that. So clearly he wasn't in this group. Um, so I think for me, Matt Turner should be the starter. And to my knowledge, he's going to be getting more games coming up here with the first team in what's the other tournament that they're that they're mixing that they mix in in Europe? Uh, well, Arsenal are playing in the Europa Conference League. They're playing in the League Cup. They're also playing in the FA Cup and the Premier League. Those are the four tournaments they so play. I, I think it was maybe the FA Cup. Someone mentioned like he was he's going to get like six or seven first team games. Like start. Well, I'm, I'm not in- sure. I'm not sure before the World Cup. I think he may get two maybe and really? so that's why i bring that's maybe why I bring all this encompassing somebody said yeah. six or seven games and i was trying to figure out where he was going to get those and i can't yeah, remember so now where i read it or where i heard that, it because that, with a gazillion things you know flying around during these games yeah that's why i bring that up Kay, because are, are we comfortable from the united states point of view knowing that somebody like matt turner will be the number one and and i mean look he, he, he could play all the games if there's an injury at arsenal but um, given what we have in front of us and the information we have at our disposal, he's going to play five or six games. Are we comfortable with that heading into the World Cup? Well, I mean, I guess to me, when as long as he's in form and he's healthy, I mean, I honestly, I don't know right now what is the better option. I really don't. And I understand that there are there are other options. But when I look at the way he played in this game, he didn't look rusty. I know he didn't have like an insane amount of shots in either of the games, but he didn't look rusty. He's comfortable with that group. They're comfortable with him. If that back line, which we already are a little bit iffy on, you want to have a comfort level with a player with a goalkeeper behind you. And I understand they have different talents about who can play out of the back with their feet. Who can't? What are we? What's Burhalter looking to do here? Does he want to play long? Does he want to play out of the back? Does he want to play direct? All those things. But at the end of the day, the number one priority for me is that a goalkeeper stops shots. Everything else for me comes secondary. If that goalkeeper can stop shots, make the necessary saves, and then on top of it, make the spectacular ones on occasion, either keep you in the game, win a game for you, any of those things, that to me is priority number one. And then whether or not they're great with their feet, they can play out of the back, they can distribute well, that's secondary to me to to shot stopping. So honestly, Matt Turner was maybe the only bright spot. I thought Weston McKinney looked way better in the second game. I thought he was awful in the first game. Um, not the Weston McKinney we're used to seeing. I thought Pulisic was okay. I'm I'm a little disappointed Gio Reyna came off. I mean, I don't yeah. disappointed for him, not for mm-hmm. me per se, but hopefully it's just but but let's say he got nervous because he felt something. And in his brain, you know, he pulls himself off. H- how do you how do you use that player in the World Cup? How do you have him taking a spot on a roster? when you're not 100% certain on his health and his ability to play through things or, you know, I don't know, we're not inside those walls, but that's a that's a valuable spot on that roster. And I, I love Gio Ran as a player. I think he's phenomenal, but that's a valuable spot on that roster um, if he can't go, you know, continuously mm-hmm. and consistently. What were your, what are your thoughts? What was your bright spot? Not much, to be honest. Uh, and by the way, I should correct myself because I can hear the Arsenal fans abusing me. 
they are currently playing in the Europa League, not the Europa Conference League. Um, and, and hopefully Matt Turner will, will get some games. He already did in, in the Europa League, and, and hopefully that continues. Um, but in, in terms of the, the positives, I, I agree. I thought Aronson, when given the ball, particularly in the, in the first game, looked as if he could create something whenever the US got the ball against Japan. I, I thought Tyler Adams gave a, a decent account of himself. But I would agree with you. I, I think the the most positive point of view would, would be looking towards the goalkeeping situation again. Uh, as it often is with the United States, you guys never struggle to, to produce goalkeepers. But as as we have said on this podcast, as has probably just about every other podcast in, in the United States, the, the most concerning part of the field is at centre-forwards. Um, and once again, I, I thought we left the game against Saudi Arabia with more question marks than answers once again. I, I don't think Pepe uh, offered any answers whatsoever. Now, a lot of that was because he, he didn't get any service. But I, I, as, as, as we've said before on this pod, I, I think if you've got a centre-forward uh, who can at the very least relieve some pressure and provide you with something to aim for, um, then at least you've got that. I, I'm not even sure Ricardo Pepe provided that um, on, on uh, Tuesday. So that that's the most concerning area for me. Um, and, and we know, we, we've heard the phrase for multiple years, goals do change games, and they win games as well. At the moment, the United States aren't scoring goals. In the last two games as well, Kay, they didn't create the chances to score goals either. And that has to be particularly concerning. Well, yeah, I mean, sadly, the Saudi Arabia game was a massive improvement from the Japan game, but that was just because they had zero shots on goal in the Japan game. So it wasn't, you could really only go up from there. And I agree with you that, I mean, clearly the, the, the answer has not been found to the forward, to the striker position. What was crazy to me is just the lack of chances created, the lack of quality chances, lack of dangerous chances. I mean, how many, how many shots even, how many times did the U.S. possess the ball in and around the 18? Forget about just serving the ball in to a Pepe or a Ferreira or mm -hmm. whoever you throw up top. Forget, the, you know, the service coming from wide areas, which it didn't a whole lot. How many times did they get the ball in and around the 18 or 25 yards out or something where you could be a threat offensively from a shot on goal? You know, right. I mean, I, I just, it makes me nervous. And I, I do think, and I, I'm, I'm not saying that Yunus Musa is going to change the entire way this team looks, but I do think that they really missed him in the middle of the field. And I, I felt that watching the game, you know, I just felt that the, those transition moments and those connections it's not a Weston McKinney. And I think when, you know, someone who can drive the ball forward with pace and break out of that pressure um, and be a little bit more creative. And you're not asking some of those attacking creative players to drop in so deep in the middle. So, I mean, we could do a whole nother podcast, I think on mm -hmm. the men's national team and the friendlies that just took place. But at the end of the day, I do not feel better after those two games than I did going into them. And that's unfortunate because I was, those were like, I was ramping up for the World Cup. I'm thinking, yes, you know, this is this is them getting together. It's going to be mostly the regular squad. We know there's some injuries, but, you know, plop down, sit down, watch it on the couch. You know, the text chain's going with the family. And um, and then my brother-in-law's like, well, if it was anything like the Japan game, I might skip it, you know, uh -huh. <laughs> the Saudi uh -huh. Arabia game. So, unfortunately, that's kind of where we're at right now. And, I mean, hopefully I'm proven wrong. And they fly into the World Cup and they – 
are buzzing and there's, you know, millions, if not billions of people watching these games and the energy is there and they're ready to go. That's, that's what I'm hoping for. And there's a lot of pressure on this group and they know that, but um, at least we made it there. <laughs> yes. Well, look, if it's, uh, <laughs> uh, look, what, what I will say, um, if it's any coincidence, if, if it's any sort of um, ease on the mind for, uh, for you, I suspect the England national team are thinking very similar as well, very similar thoughts heading into the World Cup. We, we, we are nowhere near uh, where we thought we would be. But I think that just, just the last thing on this before we move on to Minnesota United and, and the return of several players from international duty and onto the MLS season, that the most concerning thing for me was, was Berhalter's persistence on wanting to play a certain way. And, and that's not just from this, this camp. It's been over the course of the last year or so. And look, he's... He's done well. We, the US have won the Gold Cup. They've looked good against bigger and better opposition in, in areas that they, they haven't done before, in, in different parts of the world that they haven't done before. But the biggest thing for me is that I, I thought when, when the US played Japan, Japan pressed from the centre of midfield and they pressed the living daylights out of, out of Adams to the point where they had to, the US had to move into a double pivot in the centre of midfield. That still didn't work. And poor old Walker Zimmerman and, and then Aaron Long, that they're, they're not centre-backs that, that can play out of the back. I'm sure they can, but at this level, with all due respect, I, I'm not convinced they can do it um, at, at a World Cup level against teams like England. It, it, it's, I don't mean to, to brag or anything there. It's just, how many times have I said to you, I don't think the United States can play through the lines and through the centre of midfield against a team like England? And this is why I've always been really confused as to why Jordan Peefock or somebody of that ilk and that stature isn't starting. Because at the very, very least there, Kay, you can go direct, you can go long and you can play vertical and, and have him hold the ball and allow everybody to come up. The amount of times the US lost the ball, particularly against Japan in the centre of midfield, was really, really concerning for me. Now the likes of Wales and England and Iran will look at that game against Japan in particular and say, right, so what we've got to do is, is, is high-press them and we press them in the centre of midfield. I don't know if Berhalter has another answer. He doesn't, he doesn't strike me as somebody who, who has a plan B. And that's the biggest concern. I, I've come out of this camp now with more concern than ever before. And, and I, I just worry about that. And, and I can tell you now from an England point of view, the people watching in England, we, we are not happy with, with how England are playing. But I guarantee you now, and I don't mean to, to be disrespectful, I don't think they're worried about the United States, given what they've seen. And that's a problem, because for so, so long, Berhalter has been talking about this system, what we want to do, how we want to play. Sometimes it's OK to abandon that. Sometimes it's OK, especially in tournament football, you have to play a certain way, and that's OK. And, and my, my annoyance perhaps comes from his, his arrogance. And I hate saying this about people in football because everybody has their own ideas but it's been over a year now where he's maybe even over two years where he's wanted to play a certain style and I think it works in CONCACAF but with all due respect it's not going to work against teams like England and I'm really interested to see what what that looks like um, in the World Cup hey if, if the US win against England brilliant like, <laughs> I'll look like an idiot and fantastic but I'm just not convinced at all um, I, I think there's always a healthy balance between confidence slash arrogance and stubbornness 
Sure. You know, because you want people that have a belief in their system, their style, what they're trying to implement. Because if you have a coach that's wishy-washy, and this is for any sport at any level, that doesn't feel like they have a true belief in what they're trying to do, the, the players will feel that and they will, they will, you know, feed off that in a negative way. But at the same time, to that point, being flexible, being able to adjust, being able to adapt, understanding. And I remember, I think it was maybe... Was it Pat Noonan who we talked to way early in the season before Minnesota United played FC Cincinnati? And he was talking about, you know, how much he scouts other teams versus how much, you know, they focus on themselves. Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, I'm not, a, I'm not an idiot. Like we have to be aware of what they do. We have to sure. be able to, to counter what the opposition does and be ready for it. But also at the same time, we have to feel good about what we are doing to try to implement our style on the, you know, oppose or, you know, impose our style on the opposition. So there has to be a good, a good combination, a good, uh, heavy, you know, a balance between those two things. And I think that's what Greg Berhalter is struggling to find right now. Now, the only other thing I'll say before we switch gears here is, is everybody sort of in this weird boat of not feeling good about how they're going into the world cup on this international mm. break, because it's been, this is a totally different schedule than everyone's any experience anyone's ever experienced before. England doesn't feel great right now. The U S doesn't feel great. And I haven't, you know, I'm, I'm not inside every camp. I'm not following these other teams. Like I did the U S men's national team, but maybe everybody's not feeling great about how they just came out of the September break because nobody's ever experienced this calendar before you're used to having four weeks together four or five weeks together in the same country for a full-blown camp with friendlies with games before you go to a world cup no one's ever done it this way before so i think everyone might be a little discombobulated yeah don't disagree uh i just think tournament football is so much more different than a full season um, you've, you've got time to implement your system. Uh, I think right now, um, international football, I, I think um, the players have got to fit the system, whereas I think in, in regular season, it's the other way around. But we'll we'll wait and see. Um, unsurprisingly, we're running out of time and we've spoken far too much once again. So what we'll do uh, is we'll take a short break uh, and then we will talk to Mark Watson, the uh, technical director of Minnesota United, uh, all about Emmanuel Reynoso and indeed the next opponents, San Jose Earthquakes. When injury takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers. With convenient locations, virtual options and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results and care team, you're always close to the care that you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org slash And a very warm welcome back to the Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopaedics. Callum Williams, Kindra G. St. Aubin with you. Uh, now, we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. The reason for that is because the biggest news to come out of the football club over the course of the last couple of hours, at least, is that Emmanuel Reynoso has signed a new three-year contract with Minnesota United, meaning the Argentine playmaker will be sticking around for some time. So, we thought we'd bring on the man who did the deal. 
Technical Director Mark Watson joins us on the call. Uh, Watto, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Uh, before we get into details, um, I'm assuming everybody's absolutely thrilled that Reynoso will be sticking around. No, we are. It's it's a it's a big day for the club. Um, you know, I think when when you when you look at our club and you look at the players you associate with the club, you you will probably look first and foremost at at Emmanuel Reynoso. You know, I think since he's been here, um, you know, and, and he's he's one that I think right from day one had a, had an immediate impact. You know, and I think he's I think he's just continued that the whole way through and 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 even gotten better, especially this last season. So. Um, it's a big day for us. You know, he's a he's a big player for us. Um, you know, not just his individual contributions, but his his effect on the group. Um, you know, and we're really excited to have him have him in the long term. Speaking of that, Wado, and I know I said this in, in my tweet when the, the deal got announced, we can all see his quality on the field, but you don't always know what kind of a person you're getting per se. You think you know and you do your research, but how important was it to sign him up for this kind of a deal? Also knowing his contributions in the locker room with the group, his work rate, all those kinds of things. Yeah. I mean, really important. Um, you know, and it's not just with Ray, but it's, it's as a club, we, we really value that, that type of person and that type of player. Um, you know, we want good, honest, hardworking players, guys that come in and, and, you know, train well during the week and also, um, do that same sort of work on on a on a game day. So, you know, with with Ray specifically, you know, I don't I don't think it's typical of a you know a star player, a number ten, someone that has that game changing ability to necessarily be a hard worker. And and sometimes you make concessions with that type of player. I don't think we have with Ray. I, you know, even before we signed him, he he played a bunch of different positions, but always had a good work ethic. And like I said, you don't necessarily connect that with a a good defensive player, but he, he always did his work that side of the ball, um, you know, so that's an added bonus and, and a great guy. He comes in and works every day. He's got a smile on his face. So he really fits the club ethos from that side of it. And he's a fantastic player on top of that. So what, so how did this deal get done then? Because there was interest. There was obvious interest from different parts of the globe. So mm -hmm. what does somebody in, in your situation have to do to get a deal like this over the line? And, and how did it happen? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's clear for everyone to see he's a, he's a top player, you know, elite ability, impactful on the game, not just himself, but his effect on others. And I think the one challenge that we, we had with him and the, the one thing we wanted to see more was, was goal production, whether that's scoring goals or making goals, you know, and I think that's, that was kind of the, the final step that he needed to improve on to really get to an elite level. Um, you know, and, and we did a, or he did a great job of that this year. I think he's 10 goals, 10 assists, which shows, you know, elite level production and, and really good balance. So he's got a nice combination of goals and assists. Um, you know, so in terms of how the deal was put together, there's been interest in him from day one. You know, I think his ability is there for everyone to see and even more so interest now that he started to, to produce. So there's always been clubs that are interested, you know, and for us, it was, um, you know, it's trying to find the right timing where we, we still had a little bit more time on his deal, um, but we felt he he outplayed, you know, his his current level of compensation and it was the right time to do it, you know. And and like I said, it's really obvious to see what a top player he is and just how impactful he is on our group. You know, this year, if you look at kind of how the season's gone, we can probably go into that more, in more detail. When he's playing at a high level, the, the group is, uh, is playing at a high level as well and we're winning games. So we didn't, uh, we didn't want to dismiss that 
that connection. So uh, the deal took a little while to, to put together. You know, there, it's, it happens over months, not necessarily, you know, days and weeks. Um, just started to discuss things, put some numbers out there, you know, and, and I think for the most part, it, it went quite smoothly. I think there was appreciation from our side that he'd outplayed his his current deal and that we, you know, we wanted him to be here long term and he should be compensated more. And I, you know, I, I, I appreciate the his representatives in terms of the way they approached it. They were they were quite sensible and they they helped their player in a sense of we're going to improve your your deal. We're going to incentivize it so you, you still get uh, rewarded for goals and assists. And, you know, we don't see this as your your final Minnesota United deal. We see this as your second deal. And now the push is is to get to your next one where you're, you know, going above and beyond where your production is now. And, you know, we can't ignore that. And we we need to redo your deal again in a year or two because you're you're a league MVP and you're, you know, you're top of the goal scoring chart. So, um, you know, it took a lot. It took a, a while to put together. But I think both sides were, you know, when it went into the deal with um, with an open mind and, you know, a realistic perspective. And it, it came together quite nicely. How important is it when his family arrived here? And I know I talked to him and to Adrian about this yesterday, just saying what a difference that makes. And then the importance for him to have a long-term deal with his family in mind. So it kind of cuts both ways um, for getting the deal done just from a family perspective. Yeah, I I think it's a big part of it, you know, and like I said, I thought he um, transitioned to the league quite well. Um, but there's always a lot of things that go on behind the scenes. You know, you're coming to a, a new country with a new language, a different training style, a different playing style, you know, different food, just, just a different way of everything. Um, and he did well, but I think we've seen another level of production and he's just comfortable and, you know, all of the above in terms of him making the full adjustment to the league and, and playing at his best. And it coincided with his, with his wife and his daughter coming into market. So you know, we, we forget that sometimes just the personal nature of, of these players and, and the teams, um, but there's a lot going on. So I think that was really important for him. Um, you know, it's, it's challenging. It happened during COVID. So, you know, getting work permits and visas and all these things was a lot more difficult. So there were some contributing factors, but it's a great point. I think we've, I think we've seen a real correlation between his family coming and him getting to that next level. Well, so what does doing a deal like this say about Minnesota United as a football club and, and what they can offer as a package as a whole? You know, I think it says a lot. I think, you know, I, I, I truly believe if you look at all the factors of our club, I think I think we're one of the best. You know, we're not New York or L.A. and we know that. But I think with with everything we have here, you know, I think we have a we have a great group, obviously still trying to get better and push ourselves to the next level. Um, incredible facilities, you know, and I think Allianz, on a match day is is second to none in the league. You know, I think the stadium, the way they designed it, you know, the the passion and the energy of our supporters, for, for me, it's it's the best. You know, it's a fantastic city. I think we've got a lot to offer. And, you know, we may not be the one that that jumps out when you think of MLS from a you know a South American or a European perspective. But the you know the the true test really is when players come here and get a, a chance to to be here for an extended period of time and get to be at the club and get to live in this market. Um, no one wants to leave. So I think it's a real credit to that. And I think, I think Ray feels settled here. Um, I think he feels great about the club, the direction we're going, you know, the quality of the players around him, and just, he wants to be here long-term. So I think it was a commitment on our part, but it was also a commitment on his part that he, you know, he wants to be here. He wants to be a part of this group and he, he sees a really bright future ahead. 
I know you probably can't get into the the super specifics about it, but when you talk about incentives and you go into negotiating an extension or, you know, a re-signing like this, how much of it is there a back and forth about what sort of is, this is what you're going to get, or this is what you want to, we want you to earn sort of with the incentives and, and the production standpoint. You know, it's, it's specific to Ray, but it also was helpful that this is, this is a DP deal and there's more flexibility in terms of some of the different concepts you can you can have as part of the deal, you know, and this is I think where his representatives were were really um, really smart in terms of, you know, we're we're kind of in this together and what's the best pathway forward. It's it's great to have bonuses and and you know financial motivation to things. You know, a little bit easier with attacking player because it's goals and assists, but we felt that was a really important part of the deal. So his salary certainly went up, um, but we felt that. If we incentivized it and listen, you're an elite player, you you should be hitting these targets every year. And if you do, your your compensation is going to be significantly improved. And I think, you know, I think everyone responds to that, but I think he's he's very, very motivated by that. And it gives him it gives him a direction and some some really achievable targets. And he knows that if he does that, he's proven that he's an elite level player and he's, you know, his compensation is going to go up significantly. So we felt that was a really important part of the deal. You know, it's something that we've been trying to push out of him since he came. You know, he wants to go get the ball. He wants to, you know, he wants to be involved all the time. But sometimes it's better to stay away from the ball and play a little bit higher up the field to play in that next hole, to play off a striker, to play off your wide players. And when we attack, attack the box, you're around the box. You know, and he's done a great job with that. His production shows that. And we want to continue that in terms of keep thinking of, you know, your play in terms of being a part of the game, but you're impactful when it comes to the ball going in, in the box and you're there. And he's shown that he's, he's got those instincts and he was initially thought of as, you know, a number 10, which maybe thinks that he's more of a provider, but we wanted to have, add a little bit of selfishness to his game and, and, and try to score some goals and he's taken on board. So to connect to the original question, we wanted to keep that motivation and keep him focused on on goal production as as much as we want him to continue his overall good play. I get the feeling the answer to the question I'm about to ask is no whatsoever. But was there was there ever even the thought of potentially selling Reynoso and cashing in? And I remember having a quick chat with with Adrian Heath about him a, a couple of weeks ago, and the conversation we had is the reason why I, why I think the answer is no because Reynoso was clearly attracted to staying here. You've made him an offer good enough to stay here. And the thought is now that he's going to be an integral part of the process. You may even build a team around him. Yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. He's, he's our star player. You know, I think every, everyone's seen that. So do we want to lose him? We, we don't, you know, we, we feel he is, you know, with a good group around him, you know, the, the cornerstone of, of a really good future, you know, uh, part of the deal when we, when we signed him and we, we got to see him, in person and um, you know in matches was now we have this this really talented number ten that has so much to offer. Let's let's put some complementary pieces around him. Let's make sure we we have some goal scorers, some players to to run in behind. Maybe another player that can can get in the half spaces and create some good numbers up scenarios. So we wanted to to have a team kind of built around him because we knew we had an elite level talent. Um, on the other side, you know we're we're all realistic enough. We're part of a, a global marketplace that, you know, if your players are doing really well, they're going to attract attention from other clubs. So, you know, 
I think we'd be very reluctant to, to sell him. But if there was an offer and a number that was significant enough, it's something the club would, would consider. You know, I think it would take a pretty big number to do that. You know, like I said, he's he's a top player and he's he's really impactful on our club. And, you know, we do have aspirations to to go to the next level, getting in the playoffs, getting a home playoff game and and having a good playoff run. And we think he's integral to that. So um, we, we'd be very reluctant to move him. But, you know, if, like I said, if the offer is significant enough, it's it's something you always have to have a discussion about. Speaking of the playoff run and, and hosting a home playoff game, and I asked even Reynoso about his role as the star player as much as whether he wants to kind of take on that role or not, and the pressure he maybe feels as that star player to kind of, you know, lead this team to where it needs to be, and including the pressure situations like coming this weekend at San Jose, the final home game against Vancouver, when you have these discussions with him and you look at some of the leaders on your team, including Emmanuel Reynoso, do you think they take on more of that pressure? Or do you think, you know, knowing the circumstances of, of what lies ahead and what this team and this club wants to accomplish? Yeah, good question. No, I, I think, I think that's what leaders do. I think, you know, and just to speak to, um, to that regarding Ray, that was part of his new deal is, you know, we know he's a good player. He's come in, he's proven that, you know, we want him to take on some more leadership qualities and, and kind of, you know, understanding and accepting the responsibility of, of this big deal where he is, he's the face of the club. He's, he's our star, you know, so it's, it's on field, but it's also off field as well. And that was, that was part of it, but we want all our leaders, all our, all our impact players to, you know, to relish these situations, you know, they're, they're high pressure situations, you know, we can go go back to how the season kind of progressed and how we got here. But now we have two really important games and we, you know, this is when your best players need to be at their best. You know, I think I think Ray's the person that he just loves the game. He loves to train. He loves to play. And I think he's someone that has an, enough confidence and an understanding of his role in the team. I think he's relishing the opportunity that these these next two games are going to are going to provide. Yeah, let's move on to that then, shall we, Watto? Appreciate all the honesty with the Reynoso deal being done. Um, as you mentioned, two games remaining. Do we identify them as as must win, or are they simply games that you need to take something from? You know, I, I'm not exactly sure about the math. Um, I think everyone's looking at, you know, who's around us and, you know, do we get one point, do we get three, do we get four, do we get six? Um, you know, we're looking at these as we're going to go in and try to win both games. You know, we, we can't control anything else. We can only control our performance. So we're going to go in, obviously, with a with a plan. And, you know, going to win a game doesn't mean you're you're throwing everyone forward in the first minute. It means we're going to be smart about it. We've looked at we've looked at San Jose and we will look at Vancouver tactically. And we're going to be, you know, on the front foot trying to trying to win the game. Um, you know, we've obviously done the math and we're looking at all the different permutations behind the scenes. So a draw and a win probably gets us in, you know, we've, we've, and we've looked at all that, but um, the, the task at hand is, is San Jose this weekend. We know it's going to be a difficult game. You know, they're not in the playoffs. They've had a, you know, kind of a volatile season. They've had a, a volatile few years, to be quite honest. Uh, they've got a new coach coming in next year and, and players are, uh, you know, playing for, for futures and, and contracts for next year. So, you know, we're not taking them lightly. They've, they've certainly got quality. They've had some decent results, you know, over the past 10 games. And we know we're going to have to play well and be smart and, and have a good tactical setup to, to beat them. 
And when you look at that and you say, you talk about the mathematical permutations, oh, a draw, you know, a draw and a win should get us in or whatever it might be. But then you look at the two games and it's like, well, where does the draw and the win necessarily come from? Because even though San Jose has been eliminated, sitting at the bottom, we, we all know from this conference in this league, you really can't take anybody lightly. And sometimes San Jose can prove to be a juggernaut for some reason uh, for Minnesota United on the road. So when you yep. look specifically from your chair now, not necessarily on the sidelines as a coach and not as a, as a player, do you like these moments? You know, this is where, what you live for kind of the playoff vibe and the pressure, or is it more <laughs> just like you, you can, you wish it went to, you know, be left to this close. No, we, we wish we were, you know, in the, in the top four right now. And, and that wasn't going to change. That would be the, the preferred scenario, but no, we are where we are. I think, um, you know, I think it's a testament to the league that um, there is so much parity and there's so many teams still involved at this point to, to get in the playoffs, to get in the top four. There's, there's still so much um, that can happen in this, in these last two weekends of the, of the season, you know, and I think, I think it's exciting, you know, like I said, I wish we were more comfortable, but, you know, it's 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 what people want to see. This, I mean, basically, we're in the playoffs already. We have we have two massive games. Um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna try to win them both and see where that that takes us. And you know, in the end, we you know we think about all these other things behind the scenes in terms of the the players and the messaging for them. It's San Jose this weekend. We're gonna approach it a certain way. You know, and then and then we look at what's what's beyond after that. So they'll, they'll be very focused. I think everyone knows what's at stake. I don't think you have to really go overboard on that. Everyone looks at the, the standings, everyone's doing the, the math. And if this happens, you know, what does that look like? Um, so the, the motivation's there. It's just approaching the game um, and putting on a good performance. Five games without a win, though, Watto. It's not the best time to be on this kind of run. Sure. What do we put the current run of form down to? Well. So, I mean, I, I, there's been some, you know, if you look at our good run, um, you know, 10, two and one, there was a significant drop off in terms of some of the, some of the players that were available. So no disrespect to the group that's been playing, but we've, we've had some injuries. We lost Bakai Debasi, we've lost Bongi, we lost uh, Ray, you know, to injuries and suspension. We had suspension for, for Fragapani. So, you know, um, that's that's not an excuse and saying, hey, if we have a few injuries or a, a suspension, we we shouldn't be winning games or, or you know, picking up points. Um, but I think there was a connection there. I think the, the, the focus right now is, you know, the group that's available. And that's that's always our focus. Things happen during the season. So the group that's available, we're going forward. Um, we'll do the best with this group and it'll it'll um, it'll be the same thing going into San Jose. We will have players back. We'll be healthier. Reynoso will be back. Fragapane will be back. You know, so those things are coming at a good time. Um, you know, and I, I think there's there is a lot of confidence in, in this group, even though the, the last five games only picked up one point. That if we if we have a competitive team on the field and everyone's motivated, we can we can win home or away against any team, and that, and that'll be the the belief and the confidence going into this weekend. When you look at San Jose, what do you make of their club? the the circumstances that they've had to endure for quite a few years now with the coaching changes and um you know understanding what that must feel like as a player and as a staff to constantly be changing it and in flux what do you make of their season and their current form and and what you know lucha gonzalez being hired even for next season yeah i mean it's it's a club i know well i was i was there for a long time as a as assistant and a head coach 
so I don't spend that much time on them. I'm pretty focused on us, but it's been, it's been very tumultuous the past five or six years. You know, I think they've made the playoffs a couple of times. I don't think they, they ever made the playoffs under uh, Matias Almeida. And, you know, from afar, it's, it's been pretty volatile. They, you know, they had a unique style. Um, they could win any game three or four nil and they could lose any game six, seven, eight nil. So it was, it was kind of all over the place for a long time, but, you know, we focus on the task at hand. We and we know they've got good players. Espinosa, Ebubise, Kate Cowell. You know, they, they've got they've got some real talent. So we look at it as this game, um, knowing that they've they've got good players and they've got a lot to play for. Even though they're not in the playoffs, these these types of teams that don't have anything to play for in terms of playoffs, um, it's personal pride and, like I said, it's playing for playing for a future. Um, you know, we're supposed to take them lightly. And that's that's the mental challenge. We will not be doing that, you know, and that will be really clear from Adrian and the staff. They they won't let that happen, you know, but just common sense, uh, they're not a very good team. They're at the bottom. They didn't make the playoffs. This should be an easy one, you know, and, and it's not. This league's proven that, that that's not the case. And in this situation, with so much on the line for us, there, there will be no uh, approaching the game with anything less than, you know, a, a full shift, 100% focus and a really good performance uh, to get the job done. Well, so one or two more. We appreciate the time. We know you've got things going on. Um, I'm wondering how much the international break has helped over the course of the last couple of weeks. Adrian Heath mentioned he thought that maybe one or two of the players could do with a change of scenery. Yeah, no, I think um, I think the international break can can do a lot of things. Obviously, you're missing players, you know, so you're 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 considering you know, the amount of games they've played, the amount of travel, um, you know, when they arrive back in the market, we're starting to get guys come back in now and and trying to make sure we're doing everything we can to at least physically prepare them for the game. Um, you know, I just, I, I think in, in terms of our club, you know, five games without a win, I think it was a good chance to, to reset. You know, we, um, we had some really good training days. You know, Adrian did a fantastic job with this group in terms of giving them a couple days off, uh, you know, rest physically, rest mentally, and then and then we're back again. And it's it's full on. It's it's trying to replicate this this level of intensity in these past two games, which is a playoff intensity level, and putting that into training, going back to basics in terms of our group, you know, the things that we need to work on to do well. Um, and I, I, I really think this came at a perfect time. It also was 10 or 12 days, whatever it was, and it gave players a chance to get healthy. Um, so I think we achieved a lot of objectives. And I think, um, you know, I think we'll be we'll be ready for the weekend, given the, the group that we've got. I'm not sure if all the players are back in yet, but as they trickle in, is there always one, you know, at least one eyeball on what they have going on to see that they come back in and healthy? I mean, forget being jet lagged and tired. We, you know, I saw Boxel today and sure. Yeah, he he had quite the trip, um, quite the flight. But just from a health perspective, to make sure and see how these guys come back and physically. Oh sure, no, we monitor all their trips. We watch the games. We we know, you know, like what travel they've done, how many minutes they played, uh, when they played. You know, if it's if it's a Monday and they travel Tuesday, they've got a little bit more time. If if you're arriving back in the market on Thursday, you know, then it's it's basically just doing an assessment and very very light, very much regen stuff and maybe doing some light tactical preparation for the weekend. So uh, the group will train tomorrow and then travel to San Jose. 
Um, and, you know, in that time, we've got 48 hours to kind of assess where everyone is, see if there's any knocks. You know, we do get medical reports. We get physical data from their trip. So we have a, we have a pretty good idea of what we're getting when the players return. But obviously, it's a little bit different when they, when they get into our group. We can make an assessment, little knocks, little, little things going on. And, you know, we'll do everything we can to make sure that the group's ready to go um, come, come the kickoff time in San Jose. Wonderful. Uh, Walter, thanks so much for the time. Really, really appreciate it. It's been wonderful to chat all things Emmanuel Reynoso and, of course, talk about the next opponent, San Jose Earthquakes. My thanks to Mark Watson, to Kindred D. St. Aubin, and our expert button presser, Grace Dearson. And, of course, to you for listening at home as well. Uh, all eyeballs, then, on San Jose, Minnesota United, on the road this weekend. You've been listening to the Sound of the Loons podcast, presented by Alana Health, Orthopedics.